Welcome to the Waste Not What Not podcast. I'm Philippa Ross, human ecologist, enthusiologist, author and energy healer, bringing you inspirational interviews, news and tips to rebuild the relationship between people and the planet the way nature intended by revitalising our natural resources, minimising waste and maximising human potential. I trust you'll discover seeds of hope for a vibrant future so you can cultivate and transform them to suit your own lifestyle in order for us to collectively create a world where reverence for the diversity of all life is honoured. You'll find all the show notes in the description and lots more about me and my work at philipparos.com. And don't forget, if you like what you hear, be sure to share far and wide. Hello Wastebusters, welcome to episode 41. The theme this week is all about perception and how we can broaden our outlook when we pause and see things from a different standpoint how it opens our mind to see the different facets that add value. This is in part influenced by news I'm sharing this week, the wisdom of my guest Paul Frasca from Sustainable Salons, who demonstrates how a paradigm shift in business practices serves the well-being of people and the planet, and a recent visit to Gibbs Farm Open Air Sculpture Park, set along the coastline of the Kuiper Harbour, where I really appreciated why we need to approach life from the point of fulfilling oneself while serving the greater good of all, with the help of others to bring our vision to life. The sheer scale of the sculptures were phenomenal, engineering feats in themselves. The eight-arc sculpture that I loved stood 90 foot tall, its total weight close to 100 tonnes, and all set in 300 tonnes of steel and concrete below ground. It appeared to defy gravity, tilting to one side, giving the impression it was blowing in the wind, the sunlight bouncing off, creating more illusionary movement. I came away with a deeper understanding of the value of seeing something from another standpoint, both physically, when you see it from another hillside or valley, and mentally, each creating a different train of thought as to what it represented. My friend and I had great fun coming up with our own names for each one. The strategically placed structures highlighted how important it is to keep the overall objective front of mind when deciding on the actions you take, so they align with the desired outcome. Something that's clearly missing both from the environment and conservation ministers in their predator-free plan to zap all pests by 2050 using 1080 poison. The overall objective is to conserve endangered species. It begs the question how people with such huge responsibilities seem to be oblivious to the cyclical nature of the entire ecosystem. Fortunately, the release of a new paper published by the Jane Goodall Institute and Department of Philosophy and Moral Sciences in Belgium has just been released calling on New Zealand government for an immediate ban on 1080 because of the unethical, unnecessary and unrealistic nature of the method. In short, the report points out how devastating it would be for the habitat, never mind the financial and ethical cycle of destruction it leaves in its wake by inflicting prolonged, intense suffering to living organisms. I've put a link to the news item and the full report in the show notes. You might like to listen to episode 24 when I interviewed Richard Robbins from Project Island Song, who shared just what it takes to create a safe, self-sustaining environment for wildlife. Rewilding and rehabilitation of wildlife takes time and patience. Factors that both Richard and a more recent guest, Leif Cox, reiterate. There's a fine line to tread when it comes to intervening with nature, but when done with due diligence and respect for nature's wisdom, the rewards are great like the once extinct Californian condor that now soars in the wild, and there's great hope for the Guan kingfisher to do the same. The last 29 wild ones were rescued from extinction in the late 80s, and after nearly four decades of breeding in captivity, 140 now live in 25 facilities around the world. They will not survive if returned to Guan because of the brown tree snake. So after much research for a habitat that will support their survival, it's hoped the lush green forests on the islands known as Palmyra Atoll, a hundred miles south of Hawaii, will become the new home for some next year. Incinerating waste is a prime example of a narrow-minded approach to manage waste. 
Waimati in South Canterbury and Te Awamutu in the Waikato region are both faced with consent proposals to bring this so-called solution to burn waste that can't be recycled. Both communities are campaigning against the proposals, applying pressure to councils and governments to focus on investing in ways to reduce the production of waste instead of accepting that waste is unavoidable. As Trish Allen said in episode 32 about permaculture, we need to just turn off the tap. We could also adopt one of the myriad of ways Mike Buddle from Keep New Zealand Beautiful shared in episode 29, to first refuse, stop and think about the need for what we're contemplating on buying and simply say no. Then repurposing, reusing, reducing, recycling and rotting as alternative ways to minimise waste. Repairing is another option, a shift from the throwaway mindset we've become so used to using. The Repair Cafe National Network are on a mission to set up nationwide free hubs to bring your broken goods to for them to restore. It's also a great way for you to learn new skills too. Be sure to support them in their current campaign to raise funds so they can fund one in your hometown. Link to donate in the show notes. This coming Saturday, 1st of October, is the first phase to reduce plastic waste making it illegal to provide, sell or manufacture certain hard-to-recycle and single-use plastics, which include PVC food trays and containers, polystyrene takeaway food and drink packaging, expanded polystyrene food and drink packaging, plastic drink stirrers and plastic-stemmed cotton buds, but for some reason not medical, veterinary or scientific use, which in my humble opinion is a nonsense, since they're likely to be the biggest users. Now on to this week's guest, Paul Frasca. Now on to this week's guest, Paul Frasca, who's infused years of research and a genuine enthusiasm for sustainability into making an environmental and social impact on the hairdressing industry here in New Zealand and Australia. Paul's insatiable appetite for stretching the imagination and coming up with innovative ideas has given him the opportunity to make salon waste history. Not content to merely reduced waste, Paul and his team have developed a way of life and a refreshing mindset to repurpose, redistribute and reinvest profit made from waste into serving the wider community so people and the planet thrive. Welcome to the show, Paul. It's lovely to have you with me all the way from Byron Bay in Australia. That's it. Paradise, we like to call it here. Just bliss paradise. Oh, well, it's definitely more so than it is here today. It's pouring with rain and I'm in the winterless north, which is supposedly paradise as well. But it's not evident (laughs) today. (laughs) (laughs) We can't get it every day. And we just uh, recently went through some of the biggest floods in Australian history here. So it's been very hard for us to watch a town called Lismore, which is just around the corner. They had up to 14 metres of of water hit their town, wiped out, uh, I think, about 85% of businesses in one go. Wow, that's astronomical. It was horrific to watch. So paradise one day, but also can be devastating the next upon climate change and the effects of just not being vigilant enough to act. Yeah, it runs into what we're talking about, the sustainability and the part that we can do. We had Nelson on the South Island. That was really badly hit recently. And I had a friend who had to stop at me because she couldn't get over the bridge. The village was cut off for two days because of sheer volumes of water. So just to let the listeners know how I found you, because you're doing some extraordinary work, both in Australia and New Zealand. I just moved three months ago and I saw the local hairdresser was saying that she just joined up with yourself, Sustainable Salons, which piqued my interest and thinking, well... One of the big things I think is important from your story is for listeners to understand that sustainability is a process. It takes time. And actually, the longer you're in it, the more you find out and the more there is to do. I love the emphasis of your work, which is on making sustainability a reality and your focus being on people, the planet and profit and doing something with that. But I would add another P there. Because you're now involved with dog groomers. So I would add pooches to your actual bottom line. (laughs) Back in 2010, you and uh, your partner, Evelina, who's into sustainable fashion, you went off on a four-month journey around Oz. What inspired you to do that in the first place? 
Yeah, it's a really good question. I met Evelina in Amsterdam back in 2004. And just to give you a little bit of history, I left as a hairdresser to work in the Netherlands. What was meant to be a two-week trip turned into nearly a decade of my life. Wow. Um, So it was a long time I was there. And when you live in the Netherlands, you really do understand sustainability more for the true meaning than sometimes what people see as the misconception of sustainability, where they think it's just the green element. And when I lived in the Netherlands, I had a lot of opportunities to hear amazing speakers and be a part of some amazing projects. So fast forward a little bit, I met my partner and she was studying fashion sustainability And she just opened my eyes to the whole world of what's happening in the supply chain of what we call the rag trade. Piece of clothing has to start somewhere. It's a cotton bud. And where does that water come from? Which government uh, allocates that water? Because mostly governments allocate water for farmers and a lot of corruption can fall into that space. And by the time you get your $3 t-shirt or $20 t-shirt, it's probably gone through about three or four very unique phases that maybe you're not aware of that has completely disrupted the space of the environment, the community, and of course, so the profit between that product itself and where did that actual money land? And that fascinated me. And I said to Evelina, wow, what's happening to the hairdressing industry then? Where does the hair go? Where does the foil go? Who makes these products? Has anybody ever dived into our industry to truly understand it? So to fast forward a little bit more, I bring my Belgium beautiful partner to Australia because she, of course, like every European, wants to discover our our beautiful (laughs) part of the world. And the first thing she said to me was, I want to drive around Australia. And I'm like, what? (laughs) As any Australian would say, it's like, no, 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 the tourists, oh, yeah, you're the tourist. Okay, yeah, we don't do that. Okay, so we drove around Australia in a hippie van. And it was that time that we actually started writing the business plan for sustainable salons. It was that time where we could spend about three months truly understanding, well, what does sustainability mean for the hairdressing industry? And that's really where it all began, us just discovering that. So we spent a lot of time thinking of what do we want to wake up to every day as a business? Right. And and what type of impact do we want to leave once we finish this business? Like, what's our dream impact? And uh, that's really what set us on this journey. And when you go down that journey sustainability is just riddled right through there because again it's all about especially the environment that plays one third of the equation but then when you start to also talking about the community the jobs the people there's another big question that has to be answered and then of course the one that nobody ever wants to talk about when you talk about the community or the environment is profit because we always saw profit as an evil word And what we need to say to people, no, profiting is good when you're doing it for good, especially in this space, because you've got a mortgage and we want to employ staff and be able to pay them great wages and take them away from those other companies and bring them to what we call the company that is delivering in sustainability as a business model, not just as we're here to make money. No, we're here to make money in a very different way. And that's Sometimes how people get confused is they sometimes see that as a charity. I say, no, we're not a charity. We're not here for donations. We're actually building a business model that can stand on its own two feet. And there's many great examples of that today with Patagonia, uh, Tesla. These are companies changing the world and making sustainability reality. It very much ties in with my previous guest was on regenerative farming, but it was also before that Leif Cox with the orangutan project. And he was emphasizing how important women's rights and and things like that, because they are the core of the community and providing an opportunity for them to create a business themselves that supports their family. And it all has a knock on ripple effect. And I think this big picture that you're painting is so, so important. The times that we've been living in has helped people see the bigger picture and see how it operates and the corruption that goes on and how beholden we are to something and actually taking back the power and being able to do something constructive. It gives not only you as a business owner meaning and satisfaction, but all the people within your community as well. I mean, because one of the people that you're employing is disabled people, which is fantastic. So before we get into that, can you tell the listeners exactly what it is that you do? So Sustainable Salons is a comprehensive resource recovery service. We're designed specifically for the salon environment. 
We reward our members for being part of the program and everything that we collect out of the salon gets redirected back into local communities, charities, and providing a service back into the community. So let me break that down for you a little bit. What's the first part? Comprehensive resource recovery. Well, we're probably the most comprehensive recycling service that exists for small business in general. So we provide over 22 different ways of recycling materials that wouldn't normally be able to go anywhere. For example, we take the chemicals out of a hair salon. That's something that would always go down your drain into the waterways. Mm -hmm. Um, Another one uh, would be metals. So all the foil and colour tubes that come out of hair salons has always been deemed too contaminating, yet it's aluminium, which makes no sense. So we have created a channel to actually recycle all the metals out of hair salons. So you wouldn't think about it much, but in New Zealand, over half a million kilos of foil will end up in landfill to foil women's hair. Wow. You don't stop and think of these numbers when you consider it. So we recycle even things which might get a little bit hairy now, which is human hair. For the first time in history, we can now demonstrate in New Zealand alone, there's nearly 300,000 kilos of hair that will end up in landfill. And again, you won't think much of it, but it could have a purpose. Why? Because it's organic. And organic materials, as we all know, have a second life. I won't go through all the lists, but you get the idea. Most things that come out of not just hair salons, we service dog groomers, barber shops, beauty salons, and dermal clinics. So we service five key industries that are really our prime target. And we really want to solve this for them specifically because it's a huge part of small business within New Zealand and Australia and the world. Just to give you an example of that, those five industries already make up 50% of every major shopping street. Really? Wow. I tell you, next time you walk down your street, I want you to count the hair salons, beauty salons, dog groomer, and just realize you'll be like, oh, every every second store is nearly one of those. Wow. It tends to blow people's mind a little bit when you say it like that, but that's the impact sometimes these small businesses have on your high street. What about mobile hairdressers? Yeah, we service them too. We service home hairdressers, mobile hairdressers, because today in the work environment, they're very diverse now, mainly in homes. But again, they're all still working in salons too. So that makes up the comprehensive resource recovery part. Yeah. Then I explain that we're designed for the salon environment. Then I'll bring you on to the rewards part. This part is quite fascinating because when someone signs up to us as a hair salon, they don't just get this awesome recycling service. They also start getting fed back sustainable things to increase their business in areas that they normally would not invest in, such as cleaning products, toilet papers. So what we call these are all their sundry item lists. These are the things that you're buying aggressively in your business that you're like, I wish I could buy the the eco one, but it's too expensive. So we made it a part of a reward structure. So you just get it for free. You don't even have to think now. So we have everything from aluminium foil made from recycled aluminium. We have biodegradable gloves because millions of gloves get used in these industries. And we're the first ever in Australia and New Zealand to even make foil from recycled aluminium. We're the first ever to also distribute a product, which is biodegradable gloves. You wouldn't think it, but no one's gone to solve these problems. And our business model is actually there to go and find the solutions. And if no one's willing to do it, we'll just make it and sell it. Because we try to wake industries up all the time, but Mm. sometimes they're a bit slow to act and we're young and cool. So we're (laughs) like, we'll just do it if you don't want to do it, because it's not that hard. It ain't rocket science what we do. It's actually just getting on with it. So that's a big part of our reward structure. And then the last part is what I call the coolest part is the impact is it's what do we do with all these material lines. So, for example, the metal that we collect, we actually can sell it on the open market at about anywhere between 50 cents to 80 cents a kilo. 100% of those profits then go back into Kiwi Harvest and Oz Harvest. We've supplied 208 thousand meals by just recycling your metal this is solving two problems cycling and community in one go and demonstrating that it's a resource of the future this is not a waste material another big key example of this is we also do things such as hair recycling so there's two parts to hair recycling 
the hair clippings that come from short hairs, and then we have the long hair. So first on the short hair, we realized that after doing some intense university research in understanding what human hair is, now we know what we can make from it. So what are we making from human hair, you might ask? Is that one of our key products is a hair boom that helps clean up oil spills. That's really exciting because we're showing the performance of human hair and how it can absorb oil. And a lot of us might know of this because we use shampoo to get off the oil. Well, we just use the hair to soak up the oil. It's a fantastic product. And we now sell that to both private and government entities. We're soon to launch Hair No Shit. <laughs> I love it. So why do we call it that is because we're removing the poo out of the fertilizer, or you could say the compost, because what we realized is human hair processed correctly can release massive amounts of nutrients into the soil. And you actually don't need to then have a manure inside that soil, which creates a lot of methane. So we actually have started creating a product, which we've just got in trials at the moment. And basically, it's just a high-grade fertilizer. Hair is its main ingredient. Wow. Well, you think that's crazy? Let me take you one step further because we're going all the way to Mars today. <laughs> Good on you. What we're doing at QUT University in Queensland is we actually now know through an amazing student up there that we can actually have human hair going into the future of technology. By burning the sulfur out of hair, we can actually play a key role in the conductor system for OLED displays, solar panels and batteries. Wow. It's called SBS in Australia. It's one of our government TV channels. They did a little documentary on it on the feed, if anyone wants to go and watch and learn a little bit more about how human hair can actually be applied to technologies. It's really fantastic because, again, we're opening the doors to what the potential of resources can be in the future. Hair is in two parts. That's hair clippings. Now let's talk about ponytails. Not many people realise play a key role in two areas. One, of course, is when you see girls wanting hair extensions, but the other is medical wigs. So when someone has alopecia or cancer, they need to usually get a wig made, and a lot of that hair comes from us. What we found at Sustainable Salons is before us, seven years ago, nowhere near enough hair was coming through our streams. So what was happening to fill that demand is countries overseas were literally doing illegal trades of human hair harvesting. You can learn all about this online if you look at um, mainly India in this space, where human hair is basically a, a commodity and it's treated not much differently than the way diamonds are treated, where women would be having their heads scalped, literally, and then their hair would then be sold on the open market. So it forced wig makers to go to unethical sources to get their hair for a lady who's going through a disease. And I thought, wait a second, we, as a hairdresser, no one ever educated me about human hair. And as soon as I learned this, I thought, why don't we just start educating hairdressers about how to spot hair better? And ever since we've done that today, we've actually got a claim at the moment out there because we want to see if anyone can beat it. We think we're now the world's biggest collector of human hair ponytails for the medical wig market. Wow. We collected just under 200,000 ponytails in just the last five years, which means we supply now enough hair for all of Australia and New Zealand for medical wigs. I got the drift from your story about India. These people would be under duress when their heads were shaved. It's the ethics of it, I think, is so important. Well, for a lot of these people, they wouldn't know any different. Right. You'll right. just be from a village and you'll be told that we'll give you three dollars for hair or in some cases your hair is going to a certain God. So come and do your bit for our religion. And then that's how things happen. And be, yeah. if you actually talk to that person, they wouldn't have probably known any different. But right. knowing that their hair was sold for, let's say, two dollars there. And then the next guy that got it sold at an extreme 600, 700% markup, yeah. you know, yeah. and of course it wasn't being sent to the gods. It was sent to some 16-year-old girl just wanting long hair for a hair extension. Yeah. The transparency is not there and it's not right. There's nothing wrong with cutting the hair off. I think it's just fair that she got paid correctly for her hair because that could have been honestly a year's income. Have you got any other exciting things on the horizon? Oh. You're talking to an innovations company. We are always on the mission of solving problems. We even have internally an innovations team, and that's all they do. 
is problem solve. So one of the big things that we're working on at the moment is how do we bring our service to anyone in Middle Earth, New Zealand, to Outback Australia? So what does that mean? Well, traditional services like ours came with trucks on roads. So we've been following a bit of that trend. We don't use trucks to collect our material. We use vans because we want to protect the resources, not crush them. We realize that there's lots of people we can't reach. So how do we get to Queenstown? How do we get to Arrowtown? How do we get to Dunedin? So we have to figure out a different way. So we're really proud now. It took us two and a half years and we launched our link program, which now can connect anybody anywhere 24-7 on demand. And we have a very unique system on how we do that. And we now have members in Queenstown and Dunedin. They've just started coming onto our program. So watch this space. I think in a year from today, you'll see hundreds and hundreds of businesses now anywhere in New Zealand who want to apply sustainability to their business be able to. Awesome, because that has been the common theme throughout. There's a company here called Junk Run based in Auckland that take materials of all sorts and a huge 80% of it is the construction waste. And it's really all that networking and finding people who will take it. There's just small pockets. But as you say, this linking aspect to the Middle Earth and the Outbacks is absolutely crucial. I used to live in a tiny little village called Waipu. There's nothing nearby that would serve anything unless you do the hour's drive somewhere. That's right. Just to put that into perspective, in Australia, we're now in 22 towns of Australia. We're the first recycling company to be there in history. So it's a pretty proud moment for my team because we get to now be in the history books of something so special because we love recycling. We see it as above ground mining. For the first time in history now, we are the people that went to these towns to offer this service. It's so exciting. I'll give you an example. In the hair salons that sign up, the clients are getting so excited. They want to bring their waste and their recyclables to the salon to recycle. Sounds good. (laughs) I said, well, look at what's happening with the community. They're all so excited about this. It means so much to them. And we're just proud that we can deliver it. Yeah, it makes it accessible to everybody, doesn't it? And people feel that they can be contributing because otherwise you're just on the wayside. And until somebody does something and, and you're that person. Exactly. Before you met Evelina, were you intrigued by sustainability or anything? I grew up on a farm. We grew roses. I was more intrigued by business models. I left school at 14. As a dyslexic kid, I never got to really do much through reading or studying. I had to do it by actions. So I owned my first hair salon at 19. I had 15 staff. I didn't really build a traditional business. I built in 2000, a membership-based program that helps service beauty services through making women not think about money, but just about the vanity itself. So my mind has always been in, how do you build a business model that works seamlessly for what the person desires? So for example, you don't think much of a Netflix subscription anymore or anything. You just love the shows. Why? There's no commercials. You've got fantastic content. All the money is spent in getting your attention for things that maybe matter more to you rather than traditional TV where you were the product and you basically have been sold advertising, advertising, advertising. I always found that horrible. So another example is like a golf club. You pay a membership and it's servicing their members to have an experience. And what I love about that in so many ways is it services in a way which is designed to the customer not you as a customer being the product. My theory of business today is how do we change the status quo where it can be focused more on delivering its purpose than it is focused on just giving you more junk? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, and how do you shift people's minds away from greed and money, which has corrupted so many businesses? And actually, if they look at it deeply, it has got them by the balls? Yeah, simply. Well... What's so exciting about today than 20 years ago, businesses were really taught in a certain way that profit meant everything. Today, that's not the case anymore. Climate change has now become real. Everyone now accepts these things. You don't have to wrap yourself around a tree anymore. Businesses are just trying to figure out now, how do I actually shift to make the same profits and deliver purpose? 
So yeah. what's changing today is people don't buy brands, they buy values. Yeah, so absolutely. So as you purchase values, we're in a very exciting time. What I tell young kids at university today is that what you have to build today is something that's delivered that is actually more like a social enterprise than it is a charity or it is a big entity. Be purpose-driven, meaning you can still make lots of money. I want you to go make millions of dollars, but I want your business model to be solving an issue that's truly helping the community. And let me maybe give you an example that might help someone while yeah. they're listening because they're like, well, how do you do that? I have a burger shop. Perfect example. No business is out of reach for me. A traditional burger shop sells a burger. What does that do? Nothing for the community. Makes you a little bit chubbier and, and it probably came with some chips. Great. So inside a burger shop that's actually benefiting the community, you'll be thinking about things like how do I source everything as local as possible first, number one? What am I doing to give back to the community? So, for example, for every burger that I purchase, you're maybe going to add, so let's say the burger in your world was $17, but in your business, actually, you're calling, we're a social enterprise, so we make a burger $20. Why? Because for every burger we make, we give one to someone in need. Yeah. It's that simple. And you know what? It's actually not going to hamper your growth because you're still making the same money off your burger. And what's really nice is that for everyone that someone comes to buy, you give. So you're now instantly connected to your community. Yep. So you could have a program built for those in need who are coming out with their families that can't afford maybe a burger but have a Friday night. Imagine you sold 400 burgers that week. You're giving 400 burgers to the community. Do you know how popular you would be? You'd be the yep. burger joint. You'd be all over the news. And it's the feel-good factor of the people who are buying it at $20 knowing that they're contributing to something. It's a two-way street, isn't it? Oh, it's exactly it. And today, consumers, uh, and I know this because we, we actually get research on this, is willing to spend 30% more wow. on values. So imagine at the Bay of Islands that your local shop, knowing that you're about to buy something that you need for home, let's call it the burger again. Imagine you know that then that is actually being benefited back into your community. And the big sign said, we're going to give back to all the people that can't afford a burger, families, vouchers to those so they can have a great experience in here. Would you pay an extra $3 on your $17 absolutely. burger for that? Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. Not even a question. Hmm. It's of course take my money. And you know what? If I'm privileged to have money, most people I know are privileged to also give that money for a purpose. Yeah, it's interesting because I was doing an exercise for myself this morning and it's really looking at money beliefs and it all boils down to what your values are. It is about contributing and making a difference. You know, if you believe that money is a source of all evil and there's a lot of people do it for greed, as I was saying earlier, it's turning it round and spend it on stuff that is of value to you that's going to add value and mm. that you can make a difference. The more money I have, the more I can contribute to the community or to the world at large. It doesn't need to be scarce. No, all that needs to change is we need to think of business in a different light. And honestly, yeah. and you know who become the new billionaires of the world? Eco-conscious socialist yep. warriors. Yep. And when that happens, when the lobbyists change to those people, Yep. I can yep. tell you right now because they're happening globally right now. They're yep. tech entrepreneurs and they're investing their money very differently than what the oil companies used to do in the past. For example, in Australia at the moment, we have one of our tech billionaires. He said to our coal plants, because they're that rich now, he just said, I'll just buy you for $8 billion to shut you down. Wow. There's a very different billionaire in town. And that billionaire wants actual change. Or, you know what, we're richer than all of you combined. He's so rich he can buy out the industry over here and to shut it down. That's what really is happening now. And I'm not sure if you just heard the, the founder of Patagonia. No. He just came out yesterday and said, I'm going to retire. And he knows he's on his way out. But I'm building a trust for the company, meaning that $100 million of our profit every year goes to fight climate change. So the business model in itself now is building profit to just 
build the lobbying power that's necessary, the volume of infrastructure that needs to be built for the future. So basically saying you buy my T-shirt from Patagonia and you are now saving the world at great speed because our business model is now built to just give it all back. And that doesn't mean one person in the company doesn't get their bonus. Everyone still gets paid lots of good money, but now you're getting paid for good. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's a win-win situation, isn't it? It's fantastic. It's going to challenge the status quo of what is a successful business of the 21st century. And I think the greatest example of this is watching Elon Musk and Tesla. And when you look seven, uh, let's go 10 years ago, everyone rode off Elon Musk in the car industry. Today, Tesla is richer than all of them combined and produces less than 5% of the vehicles on the planet. You're demonstrating the power of good and how much the consumer is ready to buy the future. They're ready. They're locked and loaded. They're young kids now that want to be part of climate change. They want to be part of the future. They want to be on the right side of history when they die. And by doing that today, it's actually voting with your dollar. It's saying, you know what, I've got now $50,000 to buy my brand new car. I'm going to buy one that changes the world. And they're going to bet on the person that is built at the core with values to save this planet. Not a company saying, buy the green one over here, but the other one over here is not green. Like that's not values. You can't just be a little bit in and a little bit out and say, we're just suiting the marketplace. No, you're either in it or you're not. And if you're not in it, Well, you're just marketing. Well, it's the greenwashing because, you know, with so far as batteries and things are concerned, it's the slave labour that's involved in mining all the components that is not considered. And again, the fashion industry is another huge example of that. All the factories and the conditions for the employees. That's a big one. I was reading Pakistan with a factory burnt down over a year ago. And they bought in a new mm. bill, basically, to look after it all. Remember, you're the one buying it. Yep. And the problem starts with you consumers. You can't blame the manufacturer. We definitely can't blame the country that's trying to recycle it. Is if you bought it, well, you voted with your dollar for the world to go down that pathway. Yep. So every time you spend a dollar, I say, really think about every dollar you give, because that is a much more powerful vote than you can do globally than any other mechanism. Absolutely. Yep. Think twice about the value of the dollar. I think I touched on it earlier. You're also employing people with disabilities in the processing plant. Just seeing their faces light up on your website is just fantastic. So does that come from your own background and being slightly dyslexic and feeling left out? What inspired you to do that? Yeah, good question. When we started growing as an entity and we're up to our seventh depot now, We started realizing at about the second depot, we thought, how can we add more value? So our whole business model when we have meetings is, what's more purpose we can create on this planet? So people would say to me, is it more expensive or cheaper to work in that space? And I say, well, I don't think about that usually in the beginning, but what we've realized over time, it's actually more expensive. But does that matter when more people want to buy your product? So actually, yes, it's more expensive, but actually it adds more purpose. And not only adds more purpose, it makes a a customer look at our company saying, well, that's the reason I want to buy your product. So I always like to start a little bit there. And the reason why is because working with disability, I would have to say to most people, is really a no-brainer. They are the most beautiful individuals you'll ever meet. They have such a a no filter when they speak. It's just, (laughs) it's nearly... it's infectious, you know, because eh? we live in a world of constant filter and you're like, to see no filter is just so lovely. It's like having kids around you all day, right? Everyone just says it how it is. And it really just meant to us that actually you can do a pretty good job in our depots. They're very good at sorting, processing, uh, pick and pack. And we're like, okay. And it just rolled over from there. So we're up to now 43% of our staff now with a disability. Wow. And we're just under 100 staff now. It's just fantastic. To get in these spaces, it's hard to ever come out because if you're in for the right reasons, you just feel like you're doing a civil service now to the community. But in in, in most respects, you're just giving people security. And that is really ultimately the best part. It's meaning, isn't it? It gives them a sense of meaning and being, being valued, really. It's massive because we 
as a society have been so dismissive of people if they don't reach a certain criteria or measure up to what society thinks. That has made a huge yeah. impact. Yeah, pretty much. And and honestly, we don't see it as anything different now. We treat it with as much respect and we ask, when do you, would you like to be in a video like any one of our staff? Yeah. In Australia now in New Zealand, we use the word supported employee because that's really what they are. They're just a supported employee and um, we're just super excited to have them on our journey and with our organisation. Inclusivity. I used to work with a young boy throughout primary school who had um, autism, as you say, no filter whatsoever. He'd just scoot in and say things as it was. Also had an impact on uh, the youngsters working around him. It created more empathy and it was inclusive because he was part of a mainstream school. He wasn't treated any differently. He was just a part of it. And we all learn from each other. Brilliant aspect of things. So has there been a book or a, some person that has influenced you in your life? Elon Musk. Yeah, I, I kind of guessed you might say that. There's really only one person in the last uh, probably decade that's really mattered, or we could say even two decades, because when you're trying to take on the anti of sustainability, let's call it the 90s business models, your whole business model is in the reverse of nearly what we're doing today. And to watch someone with so much intelligence and no fear to take on such complex problems, I'm still baffled today why people can't realise just how big of an influence he is to the planet itself. Because you're talking about not just one industry, you're nearly talking about seven key industries that really nobody dared to touch. And he has gone in and actually is solving them and turning them into business models and turning himself, of course, into a very rich individual. But I said to someone the other day, he invests all of his money straight back in the companies. This is not a person that buys yachts and cars. He is an engineer and he's on the floor with his factories. And his main goal is just to complete this by the end of his life. Because he knows that there's very few people like him that could probably solve these complex problems. And you probably couldn't put a, an executive organization together to solve this because we're naturally led back to profit, where his ultimate goal is actually solving the most complex problems. Just to touch on a few, is you're talking about energy in itself. You know, this is not a car company. Everyone says Tesla car. I say, look, car is just one facet of energy. What he's solving is how do we shift the world to start using the sun, period. Yep. It is energy. That's the important thing. And I think um, I pick up on something you said earlier. He's not anti. I think that's the problem when people trying to solve problems. They are anti this, that or other. But he's more of a solution focused person and prepared to buck the system and actually not afraid of failure because there are so many lessons within the failure and not be seen as not being successful because he has taken it. I've never seen an environmentalist achieve so much within one life spent. I think people like Steve Jobs and many others that achieve so much, but this guy's doing it for the planet. So I say to any green enthusiast out there, anyone that loves our planet Earth and loves the community, loves everything that we stand for that matters truly to, yeah. to us as individuals on this planet, you're pretty much looking at your saviour right there because without him right now, you would not see the whole car industry change. You wouldn't see the shift to renewable energy like we're seeing at the moment. It's out of control. That They can't even keep up with production. He's up to his seventh gigafactory. Uh, just to put this into perspective, once he can hit 50 gigafactories, you can pretty much write off. You don't need coal anymore. You don't need gas anymore. They're all gone. They're all finished mm. because we're going to have batteries in every home. You're all going to have solar panels. We're going to have large battery scale across our countries. We're going to be looking at a future much greener than we've ever seen before. And, and you know what the best part is? There's going to be so many jobs. Imagine we were today all having a job in yep. actually building a product that's going to save the planet. And contributing, absolutely. And it's a completely different paradigm and takes a long time for people to make that shift. But it is knowing that it is happening. It's brilliant. I never feel like I'm doing enough because if he's doing that much, I could easily work harder. Awesome. Fantastic. Is there any other establishment like yourself doing the same kind of work anywhere else in the world? 
Uh, there are a few starting to pop up, definitely. Very different. Most are focused on just the recycling part, where we focus on all elements of sustainability because that's that's how we see ourselves. Sustainability is not about being green. It's about guaranteeing future resources for future generations. So you have to get very complex on how to make that happen because if you want all the things that you consume today to be there for your children and grandchildren, well, yeah. you've got to think of all those material lines, what it actually involves. Yeah. Do we have to shift that material to make it out of a different material? Um, because everything comes from a material source. So yeah. we just have to rediscover that. And that's truly what we've got to do. So our goal at Sustainable Salons, we, we want to eliminate the concept of waste. It's really about valuing natural resources and making best use of them. Yeah. Fantastic. Exactly. Brilliant stuff. Very innovative. Is there a quote that you find inspirational that keeps you going? Yeah, good question. I remember when I was living in Italy, this is when I was in my younger years, and I just made this one up myself, where I said, I always wish for things that are beyond, but that they are beyond is the reason I wish. Love it. That's out there. Yeah. Brilliant. I get your concept. Because it's only that they're beyond us is the reason I get excited and wake up every day and I need to go and solve that problem. That's what drives me and wakes me up every day. There's nothing greater than solving a problem and the accomplishments of that. I mean, having reached the tender age of 61, the more you discover, the more you discover you don't know and the more curious you become in everything. And our potential is just phenomenal. We're only using one, one and a half percent of our potential. And really, it's about expanding our whole consciousness about the intergalactic family that we are a part of and the energy that comes from it. We are so microscopic in the way that we're doing things at the moment. It's limitless, yeah. isn't it? Well, there's another one of Elon's products. I don't know if you know Neuralink, you know, where he's drilling into the head and creating oh, the Neuralink. Oh, that scares the shit out of me. <laughs> well, I tell people... It could turn someone who has dementia into having all of their thoughts right back to their childhood visible again and with no dementia. You're talking about our brains not being used enough. Is Well, our brains under our current infrastructure can only deal with this much information. Remember, you only got two fingers and you can only type so fast. We all want to learn so much and our brains are so powerful, beautiful machines. Yeah. It's just how do we actually activate it? For people like me, I can see why it's so exciting. It's going to solve so many medical issues of the future and give ourselves an opportunity to actually expand our minds like never before. I'm one of those people that loves a bit of spiritualism and, yeah. and expanding your mind and allowing that to happen. Steve Jobs once said, there's no point having a meeting with me unless you've had LSD because you won't be on my level. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think one of the things about the neuro stuff he's doing and again, it's my own limits, and I guess it links with the money, about people manipulating it for their own good as opposed to the greater good. That's where I'm stuck. I can see the power of it for the greater good, and so long as everybody's on board with that, there's that side yeah. of it. I think you're 100%. But again, I always say to someone, you only have to look at people's track records. You have to presume that most people through their lives, because you only have one life, that you're going to demonstrate certain actions that are going to show are you on the right side of history or not. And I still haven't seen any evidence yet with all of Elon's businesses that, and no one can give me one example of something that's being not demonstrated as actually here for good. Sometimes what I would call the Murdoch press or any press that tries to find every angle under the sun to make a person sound horrible, disgusting, ugly. And in the end, I always say your track record never lies. Absolutely. I used to work for TV, radio and newspapers and they always said bad news sells. And it's just like, really, what planet are you from? You will gather so much more momentum and natural resources to make the world a better place. This is the reason I'm doing the podcast is to expand people's minds into what other people are doing, as opposed to the Murdoch news that we're actually <laughs> learning from. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You're a very cheerful young man. So I'm sure you're human like the rest of us that you find yourself in a funk. What do you do to get yourself out of it? Surf. Aha. Uh -huh. Cool. Come. Look at me. I can see I'm all burnt from surfing all weekend. Surfing is definitely the thing that keeps me sane. Someone said to me, well, why surfing? I said, 
when a big wave's coming at you and you figure basically how to survive that wave, everything switches off. <laughs> All you're thinking about is, Let's get under this wave safely. And it's amazing how your brain switches off and all you're focused on is one thing. And that's, I think that's really healthy. Your brain needs to switch off. And being a part of the natural element and recognizing you can do something to make a difference, but you have to go with the flow of the ocean, really. And when you're in sync with it, there's nothing more exhilarating, eh? Oh, unbelievable and and you know when you live in a place like I do it's just beautiful water and every day just being connected to the ocean there is something very magical very spiritual if I was your fairy godmother and you could change one thing in the world what would it be <laughs> oh, the million dollar question simply to just make sustainability reality we shouldn't be looking at sustainability as a good deed it should be no different than your electricity bill and water bill to survive. We should be now funding this of the future and realising that we're going to have to pay for it. It's not going to be free and it should just be a reality to our lives now. Stop second thinking nature. about it. Second nature. Second nature. Fantastic. Bless you. Thanks for your time, Paul. Much appreciated. Thank you so much, Philippa. You have You're a welcome. good day. You take care. Cheers. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Paul's enthusiasm is contagious, isn't it? I hope it touched you in a way that spurs you to either support an existing salon member or encourages you to suggest your local hairdresser, barber, pet groomer, beautician or dermatologist becomes a member of Sustainable Salons. You can show your support for the work Paul's doing by voting for Sustainable Salons in the Circle Award he's just entered. Link in the show notes. This coming Friday, 30th of September, happens to be International Podcast Day. But I won't be producing an episode as I'm taking time out with my daughter to go to Wellington to watch the World of Wearable Arts. It's a great opportunity for you to catch up on episodes you've been wanting to listen to but haven't quite got round to yet. I'll be back on Friday, 7th of October with a fabulous guest, Jules Bright, who'll take us into the forest to unravel the magic of the plant world for healing and skin care. Make sure you follow or subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out. All feedback and reviews are much appreciated, as are your suggestions for subjects or guests you'd like me to consider. Just email me on info at philippaross.com. So until next time, dig deep, open your mind to a world of possibilities, live life with a generous heart and take steps to minimise waste and maximise your own potential. <laughs>